Welcome back, devoted listeners, to yet another stimulating episode. I'm your co-host, Veronica Costello, and joining me today in this delightful banter, all the way from jolly old England, is our former co-host, the charming Jackie Downing. Jackie, it's a pleasure to have you back. Oh, it's a joy to be here, Veronica. And rather brilliant, I say, as we've got another fellow Brit on the show with us today. Indeed, Jackie. Today's guest is a dynamically talented woman who hails from our side of the pond, too. Ladies and gents, let's warmly welcome Chloe Thomas. She's a veritable force in the e-commerce world, globally recognized for solving marketing conundrums, a best-selling author, a stimulating keynote speaker, and hosts the terrific e-commerce master plan and keep optimizing podcasts. Absolutely, Veronica. Chloe has truly mastered the art of deciphering complex marketing issues. From understanding Google Ads' intricacies to debating the role of AI in content creation, Chloe is a beacon of wisdom, proving intriguingly helpful to businesses in need. Well said, Jackie. And just for the record, our usual host Brent isn't with us on deck today. So for once, we're completely free from his, shall we say, amusingly unsuccessful attempts at humour. Quite right, darling Veronica. We indeed love Brent, but his jokes do keep the crickets busy, don't they? Ah, yes, they certainly do, Jackie. But before we dive into the fascinating world of Chloe's insights, let's pause for a quick word from our very generous sponsors who help us bring such esteemed personalities on our show. Great news for the Magenta community. Hoofa is now fully supported by Amnesty, the number one Magento extension provider. With a catalog of over 250 Magento products and solutions and a full range of custom development services, Amnesty actively invests in providing compatibility with the Hoofa theme. 33 solution compatibilities have already been released and are available as part of the regular product subscription with no extra charge. And many more new compatibilities are coming. In partnership with Hoofa, Amnesty is focused on providing its clients with high-quality extensions, great performance, and a high level of service. Visit Amnesty.com for more details. That's A-M-A-S-T-Y dot com. And remember to tell them Talk Commerce sent you. Is your Magento site moving at a snail's pace? Believe it or not, you're in the same boat as 90% of Magento store owners. Let's add a splash of optimism. I recently had a client who revived their site by switching to Hoofa. Their excitement was contagious. Hoofa is more than just a theme. It's like having a secret weapon in your e-commerce arsenal. Picture this. You're crafting an online space that's as vibrant, engaging, and dynamic as your brand. Sounds exciting, doesn't it? That's the Hoofa magic. Performance, top-notch, usability, smooth as butter. With Hoofa, hitting Google Lighthouse scores of 100 isn't a dream, it's reality. My client and I have been on this exhilarating journey, and I tell you, it's a game-changer. But hey, Hoofa isn't just about turbocharging your performance. It's about putting a personal stamp on your store. The theme is fully customizable. Play around, express yourself, make it truly yours. My client has been having a blast watching their online storefront transform, supercharged by Hoofa's powerful features and tools. Ready for transformation? Why not test drive Hoofa and feel the difference yourself? Visit 
hyva.io. That's hyva.io. And when you get there, don't forget to mention that Talk Commerce sent you. Trust me, you're in for a treat. My name is Brent Peterson, and I'm your host. Please remember to subscribe wherever you download your podcasts. Well, welcome to this episode of Talk Commerce. Today I have Chloe Thomas. Chloe, go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell us your day-to-day role and maybe one of your passions in life. Oh, wow. Okay. Hello, everybody. I am a podcaster these days. I've been in e-commerce for nearly 20 years, and I try and dive into that in order to help as many e-commerce brands as possible. And the best way I've found to do that is to to run my two podcasts. I've got one where I interview retailers and one where I get to talk to marketing experts every week. So yeah, that's me. All right. And we'll try to dive into a little bit of, maybe a little both of those topics. But before we get started, I know that I did warn you that I was going to tell you a joke. And all you have to do is tell me if that joke should remain free or if at some point that joke should be charged or somebody should charge for it. All right. So here we go. What did the blanket say as it fell off the bed? Oh, sheet. (laughs) Oh, that's a borderline, isn't it? I can see that in a paid-for joke book or something. I reckon you could probably pay for that one. It made me laugh. Good. Yeah, most of my jokes are cringeworthy, let's say. (laughs) Um, I didn't think that was too cringeworthy. I thought that was quite clever. I like that. All right, right, good. Yeah, I I try to dig in and I try to make people think. About the joke. Anyways. Mm. All right, Chloe, tell us a little bit of your background, how you got into e-commerce, and maybe one of the things that you're passionate about in terms of why you're podcasting. Yeah, sure. I got into e-commerce by accident. Out of uni, I ended up working in marketing for one of the big banks. And big companies are not my thing. Banking is not my thing. So I was applying to every job I could find that had marketing in the title. And the one who gave me the job was a UK high street retailer who had a big mail order program and a website. So I was hired to run their catalogue mailings. And they let me get a sniff, I suppose, at the web. And that was the end of that. Um, Yeah, very much um, addicted to the channel ever since. I guess what I'm most passionate about in the e-commerce space is helping businesses avoid waste, um, which can either be the waste of missing the opportunity that they should be taking advantage of, because I'm sure you come across this as well, Brent, where you see a brand, you're like, why are you not doing that? That would make you so much money. So it's the the missed opportunities and it's the wasting money on the wrong things. So I I think I said I ran an agency for 10 years and we were primarily a Google Ads agency. And the number of accounts I logged into where someone had chucked a product feed into Google, set a budget and then not looked at it for 12 months. And you're just like, that's what gets me excited is helping finding ways for people to avoid that waste but not just by by going one-on-one or do this do that but trying to create the, the structures the systems the methodologies waving the flag for things to get people to stop and think actually hold on what should I be doing so it's I try and solve e-commerce problems but I try and do it by through education and tools or decision making tools rather than through everyone should be doing this or everyone should be doing that. Yeah, I think that's interesting because a, a lot of merchants look from the bottom up. Let's just see from the logistics to from when that package actually leaves their warehouse. They're very keyed in on that part. 
But as they go more towards the front of the funnel, that digital space, it gets a little more murky and people tend to spend less time measuring and making sure that whatever they're doing on that front part is effective. And that would, I think, the one you gave is a great example because a lot of people just believe that Google is a point and go. <laughs> and Google is going to have your best interest, interest in hand by making sure that they optimize that spend mm. for you and maybe make, make sure you don't spend too much money. But there's also just A-B testing on your product pages and all those other fun things that are so overlooked unless you're one of the larger firms that has a team in place. Maybe talk a little bit about how merchants could or, or should approach some of that waste and inefficiencies in, in their marketing side. I think you're quite right. It is an area which I think there's an awful lot of noise about, but if you really got under the skin of it, a huge number of businesses are not anywhere as keyed up on it as they should be. Um, and I think actually that noise is one of the problems. There are, if you look at the back end space, we don't hear a lot about optimizing your warehouse. We don't hear about a lot, a lot about optimizing your inventory and parcels. We don't hear very much about it. You look at the world of Facebook ads, you are bombed bombarded by agency after agency and expert after expert and platform after platform and software thing after software thing going, this is what you should be doing on Facebook ads. And it's very hard as a marketer, a client side marketer, even as an agency marketer, even as me sometimes to go through all this stuff and try and work out what is actually relevant for your brand. And the end, and I'm coming back to your question in a moment, I promise, we get to this point where as brands we go, oh, we need to do Facebook ads or oh, we need to do email or oh, we need to do Google ads or oh, we need to do TikTok. And we shouldn't be approaching it in that way. Every brand should go, what am I actually trying to achieve? What's my goal? What can I afford to spend to hit that? Who is my target customer? What are they motivated by? Where are they hanging out? And then go, what I need to do is to turn more first-time buyers into repeat buyers. Here's three channels I could use to do that. This one looks like it's going to do the best. Let's build that out properly. Let's optimize it. See where we get to over the next month, six weeks and repeat the process. I guess my number one piece of advice to summarize that all down in something really short would be think what your problems are and then find the solution to it. And don't get too distracted by all the noise that people like me, I am guilty of this as much as anyone, and the rest of the industry creates about things you think you need to do. Get really focused on your own problems and find the solutions for those. Yeah, that's interesting. I like what you said about outcome because I just went through this exercise of uh, figuring out how much of a growth margin or how much, how could you grow your website fast enough, your inbound leads fast enough on your website to get to the goal that you would like to do for revenue. And the merchant had in mind that there's a magic formula where you don't have to spend money on ads. And I'm thinking I would have thought another competitor would have thought of that magic that makes people grow quickly. And we did a backwards exercise where we figured out what is the current conversion rate and we backed into it. What are the goals of your sales? And we figured out organically they needed to grow by 10 times. So then I simply plugged in a formula that said, organically, if you're lucky, if you're really good, you're going to get a 20% growth rate a year, which is probably stretching it if it's an older brand. And, and it's not going to come for free either, is it? You know, right, it's yeah, going to cost you money. 
Yeah, you're going to have to do something there, but it's not going to be like spending money on Google. But anyway, so I, I used an interest calculator, a compounded interest calculator, and I compounded the interest every quarter, and I came up with 12 years if you wanted to get 10 times that at a 20% growth rate. It, it was, it was, I thought it was an interesting experiment to use something in the banking industry to help somebody understand how organically something's going to grow. But if, I think more importantly, have you come across this magic that is a non-paid growth model for your online store? No, I, I haven't. I found businesses that are not paying ads and they're doing okay with their business. But the problem is, it's like, it's a bit like the conversion rate argument. People say, how, where should my conversion rate be, Chloe? And I'm like, that's a, it, there is no real number. I, was like, I come across businesses who have a conversion rate of 8, 9, 10%. And that's, that's an opportunity. You're not getting enough traffic to your site. You've missed some opportunities. There's space out there. And if it's the same, if you're, if you've created a business that's doing okay, you're making, you're hitting good enough targets on an organic piece. There's a huge opportunity to add ads into the mix and increase your sales at a level which works for you. It's for me, if an e-commerce business to be successful and to be doing good marketing, you need a mix of free traffic, be it SEO or organic social or partnerships. You need some paid traffic, be it offline catalogs, be it Google ads, Facebook ads, TikTok ads, whatever your your drink of choices and then thirdly you need your automated activity in place to create that nice recurring income underneath the bottom of it all but I've never come across something and gone oh yes your organic is amazing we shouldn't bother doing anything else there's always another thing you could be doing so yeah I I'm a believer in a marketing mix not a one channel business yeah, and I will plead guilty to the fact that I even guessed on the on the growth rate. Uh, originally, we had just guessed on the conversion rate because nobody actually bothered to figure out what is it actually compared to the traffic on Google Analytics. But then I think that I feel as though 20% is probably a stretch organically to get growth without doing anything else other than just... SEO optimization. At some point, <laughs> new people need to know about you and only so many people are going to search for something. Yeah, and it's I, the, it's like the, you, there's the law of diminishing returns in all these channels. And if you've, you could probably do, if we take it as a 20% upper limit on your SEO growth per, per year, the chances are it's not worth the time, the money or the effort to push it to the 20% growth. The return on investment is probably somewhere at 10 to 15% growth. She says, picking numbers totally out the air. No one take my word for this you know, to illustrate the idea. So actually, the clever business goes, we're going to do the investment we think we need to do to get to the 10%. And then the better place to spend our money, time, energy to grow the business is going to be in another channel, which could be amazing video. It could be organic social. It could be partnerships. It might not be an ad channel, but you're probably better off getting everything to 10% growth rather than pushing one thing to 20% growth. In, in your in in your bio, you talk about getting businesses to net zero. What do you mean by that? This is something I got a bit freaked out about just over a year ago now when I attended a conference by a charity called Population Matters and went, oh dear, I've been ignoring the climate crisis. I think I better get on board with this. And 
Historically, I want to know everything about something before I start talking about it publicly. I'm very much a procrastinate through research. But I realised that I am working in one of the worst industries in the planet for the carbon because one of the biggest problems is overconsumption. We as humans are all consuming too much, especially those of us in the UK and the US. I think we top the charts for the worst consumers in the world. Truly scary stats if anyone wants to go and look that up. But we, so I had this whole weekend of, oh my God, what am I going to do? Should I quit and go and do something else? And I thought, no, let's use the platform I've built to, to help the industry change. So that's why for the last 12 months or so in my business, we've been embarking on our own journey to net zero, which is a lot more complicated and time consuming than I ever thought it could be for a business that just does podcasting. So much easier than e-commerce stores. I have total sympathy for anyone trying to working on that, but also trying to highlight brands that are doing it and all the different ways in which they're embracing sustainability and carbon reduction, um, trying not to get too far into the weeds of the misery side of it, because I think you have to stay optimistic. Um, so I'm trying to bring people's awareness to the fact that this is important. I'm also trying to, because I'm a marketer at heart, my belief is that we have to change consumers' behaviour and the power of the e-commerce marketer is a great thing for changing consumer behavior. We do it day in, day out. So if we can change that behavior for good, then that's a good thing for the planet. Trying to also work out how a business that's taking steps in the right direction, even if it's as little as shifting your packaging from plastic to cardboard, how you tell that to your customers without risking a backlash and in order to create the greatest bump for your business. So it's it's an interesting world that I'm still learning about, but I think it's a really important piece. And actually, as we go into 2023, it's from a marketing standpoint, being more sustainable, being more carbon, getting closer to carbon zero is a great message to tick that kind of emotional story content piece with your customers to build that stronger relationship with them and to cut through some of the other marketing noise that they're seeing. So so I come at it both from the eco perspective, but also very much from the business head perspective. Yeah, that's, a, that, that's an interesting um, idea as well, because again, you have the logistics side if they're making a product. And I, I've interviewed people that are making, say, t-shirts and they try to do all their T-shirts on shore, meaning they don't go and have the, the the typical. I think the typical journey of a piece of cotton is it gets grown in the U.S. and it gets sent overseas to get milled, and then it gets sent somewhere else to make it into string, then it gets sent somewhere else to make it into a T-shirt, and then it comes and gets purchased back in the U.S. as a T-shirt, and it makes this big journey across the world as a, a small little commodity. And I think some merchants think of that from the from their product standpoint. But it, the other side is just the footprint of, hey, uh, my site is super busy and I'm my my website's in a server farm somewhere, and that server farm is requiring so much electricity that that we have to somehow hold also hold the AWSs, the Googles, and Microsofts of the world accountable to what that power generation is. So I, how do you determine what is important? Because it is such a big, huge it, field. It out is. There. It's mad, and it's and the one of the interesting things at the moment at the status the planet is on this journey is we can, as an individual, you can have more impact by persuading others to change their ways than you can have yourself. 
it, it's you can stop flying. I've stopped flying. You can change all your electric companies to wind or whatever. You can make lots of amends yourself, but you can have far more impact by persuading other people. Contacting your suppliers is one of the key things you should be doing is voting with your money, moving your money to banks that don't invest in fossil fuels, moving your hosting to providers that use renewable energy rather than not using renewable energy. Or if you can't move, endlessly emailing your suppliers and going, why can't, can you please, we're trying to be better. As to where you start, I think it's one of those graphs where you go, how easy is this change going to be and how big an impact is it going to have? And you try and make progress. Like when I started it for my business, I was like, we're going to do a supplier audit. We're going to look at everything and then we'll start tackling it. And I spent like my allocated time over the course of three weeks building the supplier audit. I went, it's been three weeks. I haven't changed anything. This is stupid. Let's start with, let's, let's segment the supplier base segment the parts of the business and go, that bit looks easy. Let's go fix that. That bit looks looks more difficult. I'm going to ignore that until I've done the other bits. And I'm, I've been doing this for 12 months and we've only changed a couple of areas of the business, but we have actually made the changes. We've actually made, made, the, pro, made the progress. So it's, and the, the thing is, thing to truly understand about this is nobody actually knows what perfect sustainability looks like. The t-shirts example you gave, for some t-shirts that might be better than making them within the US or within the UK. Not that we can grow cotton in the UK anyway, but it's there is no perfect solution. Someone, when you're talking cotton, someone will come and go, cotton's bad. You should be making it from recycled plastic bottles. And then someone else will start arguing you should be making it from bamboo because of the water element. And I think it's one of the things things I like to explore a lot with, with my guests is how you explain it to the consumer so as they understand the decisions they're making. Because we think it's hard for us as business people. It's really hard for a consumer to know whether they're doing something good or bad when it comes to the planetary piece. So I think it's it's about being transparent about what we're doing and it's about making those steps little by little and talking about them as a brand, we talk about them as we make them to bring our customers along in the journey with us. And it's endlessly fascinating, but there are no real answers. <laughs> yeah, I want to key in on that how to explain, because I think a lot of times if somebody doesn't know something, and it, let's just say any topic, marketing or your logistics or being sustainable, if you're trying to explain that to a merchant or a business owner or an entrepreneur that is into that or moving into that area, it's a lot of times very difficult for them to understand or even grasp that concept. And then it's hard for them to get the, to make some, take some action around it. And they may decide to do something, but then get frustrated because they don't feel any, anything is happening. I know that you also just mentioned the new landscape of, of the marketing world in 2023. If you were to frame that on a merchant to say, hey, you need to pay attention to this in 2023 for marketing, what are some of those maybe KPIs that somebody should look at now to make sure that – I think KPIs are, are something that, a, that can't be disputed because it's an actual fact unless you're talking about alternative facts. <laughs> That's another subject, but that, that helps merchants to understand. So how would you present that to somebody? I, mean, I think if we take it down to KPIs – I would say that the KPIs haven't really changed, but where you should be focused is on is streamlining the KPIs. I think it's, I think this can be said all the time and always should be said is that 
we get a little bit addicted to the stats and our reports bloat and bloat and bloat and just get bigger and bigger. So it's always good, especially in a tough year like this one's going to be, where the marketing landscape has changed so massively, where there's more competition, where the economy is being a bit weird, where the climate's being a bit weird, to really focus in and get clear on what we need to be doing. And that does come the good starting point is going actually what are our KPIs are we after growth at any cost so therefore order numbers are more, most important is profitability the key thing for our business is it how many trees we plant as a result of customer orders what is the guiding light in our business and how do we turn that into something we can track and measure so I think starting off with that is is critical I suspect some people would put customer lifetime value or some kind of complex attribution method in here for me, I, I love those stats. I find them fascinating. But for the majority of e-commerce businesses, they are not a good use of your time because you haven't yet reached a scale where, where it's really a problem. So I get more focused on the profitability numbers, the targets for orders and those kind of elements rather than worrying too much or getting yourself a bit uh, wrapped up in customer lifetime value. As to what you should be doing in your marketing mix this year, we already talked about how you should have different types of marketing and about how the message is all. And those are really the two key things as we go into this year. Because the competition levels have gone up, because consumers, whether they've got the money or not, are a little bit less likely to spend, you've got to work a bit harder. So better messaging, better creative, and really get to grips with which channels you should be on. And then you should be okay. But then, as anyone listening who's tried to do any of this knows, that little list is quite a tough list to tackle. Yeah, tough and complicated. It's, you talk about creative is one of the harder things to measure. However, you can measure one creative against another. But if you don't measure either, you don't know if your creative is effective until somebody says something to you, which is a, a tiny slice of that percentage that says, hey, or they may, may, they may never say anything to you. They may just get frustrated and leave. And the other big challenge with the creative, of course, is it's if your creative isn't matched by the landing page, if you haven't, if you're doing all these great things with your Facebook ads or your email content and you haven't upgraded the content on the website to reflect the same messaging and the same such and such, you'll lose people because they'll be, you were just talking about all this great stuff your product does. And I got to the product page and it doesn't tell me any of it. I don't, there's a disconnect. I'm unsure. I'm uncertain. I'm going. And it's, yeah, testing and building up the creative is difficult. I think it's also difficult because, as you were saying earlier, Brent, or alluding to earlier, e-commerce people, e-commerce operators tend to be more noughts and ones people than creative people. They get the logistics operation because it's definite. That happens or that happens. They often get the the ad side of things because it's this or this. And then you ask them to go and do a great video, a founder video or whatever, and it just so far outside the comfort zone of either the team you've built in order to run the marketing we were running for the last 10 years or of yourself as a founder that it can be a bit discombobulating and therefore oh it, it's Friday I still haven't done it I'll put it into next week's to-do list or oh, it's Friday it hasn't happened I'll put it into ne-. and then all of a sudden it's Q4 and you've still just got flat images on Facebook that go we sell socks it's a different skill set, a lot of the marketing we now need to do. So that's, I think, is another challenge for businesses this year. If you were to try to give a, I don't want to say magic, because there's, I don't think there's any magic left. There's always magic. I shouldn't say that. There's innovation. But what is it that one thing that somebody should key in on this year? 
And, and why do you think 23, 23 is going to be different? Do you think it's because of the economy and all the upheaval? I think it's going to be different because we've got the economic upheaval that's intriguing and unlike any other economic upheaval before, which is causing consumer behaviour to change. We've got the post-pandemic influx of e-commerce sites from all kinds of different sources that came in 2020-2021, spent 2020-2022 learning how to do marketing, and a lot of them are still around now. So there's more choice on, for the online consumer. There's also now more marketing hitting the online consumer because these brands have got more keyed into actually how to grow an e-commerce, how to drive sales to an e-commerce business. So there's that competition element, both in terms of where people can buy from and in terms of the noisiness of our marketing channels. And then we've got the impact of the cookie privacy changes, which we've seen Facebook reacting to and our ad activity reacting to over the last 12, 18 months. But we're now starting to realise that Google, behind the scenes, because they have control of their cookies, unlike Facebook, they've made huge changes to their ad platform and their analytics platform that we're really going to start see, seeing kick in. As to what the, the kind of one thing I get people to, to focus on in 2023, I'm going to give you two. Uh, a sneaky quick one, which is if you're not up to speed with what's been changing in Google Ads, you need to get up to speed, check in with your agency, check in with what you're doing, because they have changed a whole heap of stuff. And it might not be immediately apparent they've changed it. But if you're not aware, it's costing you money either in lost sales or in unnecessary ad spend. So go and get clued up on that quickly. Um, and then the second one would be, in order to do everything we've been talking about today, is to get to grips with your customer's emotional connection to your brand. So why do they buy your product type? So if you sell socks, why do they buy socks? And then why do they choose to buy that product type from you? And that's crucial. What's the difference between you and other brands? And then start to reflect that back to them across all your marketing and bring all that marketing messaging up to speed. Yeah, that's good. I, why you, I think, is such an important question. Why would they buy your product? And is it just because of something that you don't even know about yet? And helping them to understand the root of that source of why you're doing it is such an important part of it. You mentioned noise in marketing. And I think one thing that's happening now is chat GPT and AI and the ability to generate thousands and thousands of posts of content out there. How would you say, how would, what would you say to a merchant who wants to increase their content rate and, but you want to, they, you don't want, you want to warn them about creating too much noise in that. Yeah, see, I'm, I believe there's a place for AI, but I don't think the place for AI is in replacing our content teams. I think it's to help our content teams. So be clear with how you're happy for your content team to use this. Because I think the, to use um, an AI like chat, I always forget the, the letters, but that one that everyone's talking about, to use that to help you generate ideas or base copy that's going to tick the boxes and then overlay that with brand identity, customer emotions like we were just talking about and those kind of pieces. It's a great way to fast track your content creation. I think I've heard the argument that we need loads of content now because the AI is going to be creating loads of content. I'm more of a fan of create the right content 
and re- I think I still believe you're better off creating one or two brilliant pieces of content a month than you are spending half a day with a chatbot to create a hundred. I still think that's the best way to go unless you are very badly represented on core keywords on your website and you need to fill in those gaps in which case go and quickly fill them in now and then so they start getting some google juice and then start adding it back up again but i think there's a place for ai i think i've been in the industry for 20 years i've seen a lot of tech come in and often these new technologies are the people who are the kind of like the first adopters are shouting about it being great for X, Y, and Z. And then we get six months, 12 months, 18 months down the line, and we discover the actual use case where it brought the best results for the users was something none of us had even thought about or was the footnote. Here are the top 10 things, and it's number 10 that's the one that's the one that really delivers. I'm standing back and waiting to see what emerges, but it's super exciting. And I think the way... AI is helping in multiple areas of e-commerce is great because it's giving teams back time. And if we want to do better creative and we want to understand more marketing challenges and we need to optimize better and we need the time to go and find our customers, if we can get some of those lower grade activities and hand that over to the AI so we can redeploy our time on the pieces that matter, that is what I'd be focusing on if I was running an e-commerce brand right now. How can AI help my team do better work rather than how can it replace my team? Because I think that's completely the wrong way to look at it. Yeah, I would agree with that. And I think the notion that AI is going to replace humans, if you've ever done one of those automated AI generators, it's oftentimes a unrepresented, it's a horrible thing. And maybe, let's just talk about content. Maybe it is Google friendly, but I think that there's also Google's starting to be aware of what is what are the patterns in AI-generated content as opposed to when a human touches it? And then that you don't really know what it is until you've read it. And if it reads horrible, then it's going to read horrible for somebody else. It doesn't matter if just Google pieces it together and thinks, oh, yeah, this is good SEO. I'll give it, I'll give it some extra, extra juice for, for your search ranking. But somebody's going to get to it, and they're going to read it, and then it's going to stop performing because people read it and they don't they think it is terrible content. I think what you said earlier about helping creativity is where it's at and where people need to look at and I personally, I have this thing where I'm doing Jack Russell Terriers painted by famous painters, and I'm using Dolly to generate really creative content, <laughs> or I think it's really creative content. <laughs> But the fun part is there is like how can you get what you want and learn how you can get what you want by using words, right? So how do you get – like I have a Madonna Madonna holding a Jack Russell Terrier painted by Leonardo da Vinci. How do you get that that somebody would look at it and say, wow, this actually looks pretty good? And the same thing where you'd say – I did one where it said, I said, give me a laughing Jack Russell Terrier and it gave me this snaggletoothed – weird looking three legged dog. So if you don't if you don't train your AI and you don't look at what it's giving you, you're gonna get some pretty horrible outcomes that are that AI doesn't know any better, right? And I think that's the other problem is a lot of AI engines don't have a vote. If you don't if you're just going to one of those services and you're asking for content or whatever you're asking for, and you can't say, hey, this is like the worst thing I've ever seen in my life. Don't ever give me this again. It's not actually AI. All it is no. is like something that's spitting stuff back at you. Well, and, and it, like you say, even the, even the text ones, they are only based on 
the data that they can get their hands on. So I've seen some some examples where people have gone for something really cutting edge and the, the answers are just shockingly bad because there isn't any content out there about that topic at the moment. So there's nothing for it to pull on or it's totally misunderstood and you get stuck back something which is totally left field. And there's also, not to get too deep about it, but there's also some, some arguments around representation. If we want to improve representation in our graphics and in our, how we're talking and all the rest of it, the majority of the content out there is a little too white. Uh, one could quite definitely say. So you're going to get, it's only going to reproduce what's already out there. So if you're doing something different and something a little bit more interesting and you want to stand out, arguably the AI is not the place to go to get that standout content. Although Leonardo, Leonardo's Madonna holding a Jack Russell, that I think is a very good use of AI. <laughs> yes, I have a, a Gilbert Sullivan. I have, anyways, there's, there's <laughs> really fun there's there's a there's a lot of fun ideas out there, and if somebody said to me, "How much time are you spending on that?" Let me. It literally takes sixty seconds, so <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> Anyways, as, as I close out the podcast, I give all of our guests a chance to do a shameless plug. Chloe, what would you like to plug today? Oh, I'll just plug my podcasts. Um, so I got two of them. There's e-commerce master plan where I interview a different retailer every week, um, and. That is called e-commerce master plan. You can find it on all the platforms and then keep optimizing. Uh, we put a new episode live every Wednesday. Each month we focus on a different marketing topic. We've just done a month on Google ads. So if you want to know those bits, go and have a listen. And each week on that one, I interview someone who knows all the ins and outs about it to give you a different perspective every week. And you can find, if you want to find me, get in contact. LinkedIn is great or just head to ecommercemasterplan.com where you'll find all the stuff I'm up to. Great. I will make sure I put all these wonderful links in the show notes. Thanks. And keep optimizing. I'm going to say is like that if you're a marketer or you want to know let's like what you should or could be doing, I shouldn't say should because in my EOS world, we don't say don't should on people. Um, Never heard that before. That's cool. Yeah, from experience, I would look at that. I would look at both the podcasts, but the keep optimizing, especially as a merchant who wants to grow and learn and see a different perspective because I think we all get stuck in silos. And one of the worst things you can do as an entrepreneur is not talk to anybody else and think, hey, my way is the only way that's going to work. And I, by the way, all these other people in the world, I'm not going to listen to them. Anyways, that's a side tangent. Chloe, yeah, my, some, yeah, go I was ahead. just going to say, you're, you're spot on. My aim with Keep Optimizing is you can just dive in for a month and as the owner of an e-commerce business, you're like, I now know what's going on this platform. I've, I've avoided all the overwhelm, all the rest of it. I'm good to go. So I'm glad you got that perspective from it because that is, that's the aim. Absolutely. Thank you. Chloe Thomas, thank you so much for being here today. And uh, I wish you a wonderful late afternoon in the UK and early morning in the US. Thanks so much, Brent. It's been a pleasure chatting with you. Thanks for having me on your show. Thank you for making it to the end of this episode of Talk Commerce. Please rate this episode wherever you download your podcasts. We are actively looking for people to participate in the free joke project. Go to talk-commerce.com and sign up for your free spot on the free joke project. If you are a business, I will do a 30-second elevator pitch in the spot to help promote your business. That's talk-commerce.com.